1: Welcome to Philosophy for Our Time. Facts are assertions. From the Institute of Art and Ideas. We examine every aspect of contemporary thinking.
2: What is love? Is it real?
3: Is democracy illusory and incoherent? Finding cracks in the way we understand the world. I
2: think there is a crisis of values. Realism
1: has failed. We
3: debate the way forward with today's leading thinkers. We're all trying to understand what the hell is going on. A live podcast production from the Institute of Art and Ideas.
2: Fulfill your dreams and make the most of your life. That's what headmasters say, moralists and revolutionaries. But John Betjeman said that his main regret in life is that uh, he hadn't had more sex. Is life not about goals and ambitions but about the moment of being? Or is making our dreams real the only way to fulfilment? My name's Michael Crick, I'm a television reporter. Tonight we have uh, on our panel three speakers, Oliver Berkman on my right, who writes a Guardian column, This Column Will Change Your Life. To my left is Helen Ledgerer, who uh, began life uh, with the Comedy Store and in The Young Ones, uh, achieved fame in uh, Absolutely Fabious, is and has been a stand-up comedian. And on the uh, far left is uh, Erwin James, Convicted murderer who was uh, imprisoned for life in the 1980s, and uh, while he was in prison, wrote a column for the Gu- another column for the Guardian uh, called "A Life Inside." Ladies and gentlemen, that is your panel for this evening. I will ask each of the three on the panel to speak for three minutes on the, the real theme about the, se- the of this evening, <coughs> which is: Is life not about goals and ambition, but? the moment of being. Oliver Berkman, three minutes. All right, uh, thank you very much,
0: thanks. Um, so I know it's really annoying to be told to live in the moment, uh, as if you could just choose to, to, to do so. And I'm personally, I think, really bad at, at, at living in the moment, but I'm gonna argue that we should do more of that than, than, than we do. Some wise old writer once said, we teach best what we most need to learn. So that's where I'm coming from here. I think we all have goals and ambitions, of course, there's nothing wrong with having goals, ambitions, and I don't think we could choose not to have any at all if we tried. But I think that we've become as a society completely obsessed, fixated on goals, on targets, on finding your life purpose and then living it, on setting uh, smart goals in the office and all this kind of stuff. I think it makes us miserable. First of all, a few facts from the psychological research. Number one, the most famous study about why you should write down your goals and focus relentlessly on them. It's called the Yale Study of Goals. It's mentioned in all sorts of self-help books, hundreds of references. It turns out to be completely made up. It never happened. It's imaginary. Meanwhile, in research that actually does exist, it's been found that when people are fixated on goals, they cut ethical corners and start cheating. It's been shown to sort of depress creativity because people get very, very narrowly focused on a specific uh, outcome. There's evidence that visualizing the successful achievement of your goals actually uh, makes you less likely to achieve them. All sorts of research that's beginning to gather steam to suggest that, that this is not what it's all cracked up to be. But I think there's a deeper problem here, which is that this kind of focus on the future, when it becomes obsessive, ends up sort of instrumentalizing our time on earth, right? So that w- the only way that we measure the value of any given minute is the value that we're creating for some future time. Often I think that value is for an employer or for somebody, a corporation that wants to sell you stuff, and I think there's a very interesting point here about the way that this future focus keeps us all kind of docile and hardworking and not worried too much about questioning the present. But even when it is for you, for your own interests, it's still the future and the future never arrives. So you find yourself constantly living for a moment that you're never actually experiencing. Buddhists and new-agey people who talk about the fact that there is only ever this moment can come off as sort of a bit space cadet and weird. But it's actually the most objective, down-to-earth, true point, I think, that you can have, which is just that it is only ever now. It's not that you can choose to live in the moment, but that you always are only living in the moment. And there are people who try to escape that all the time through worry and anxiety. I include myself. And then there are people who really manage to embrace it. So by all means, have a goal, have a dream, but don't make it the point of why you're alive, because then you will be living for something that you never actually experience. Um, there's a quote from the French surrealist called uh, Paul Eluard, which I don't know exactly what he meant, but I think it really speaks to this, and I like to borrow this quote for these purposes. He said, there is another world, and it is this one.
3: Helen. So I remember I researched, you probably re- know about Urquhart Toll, who has written a book called The Power of Now, and I was doing a comedy on being the now and I didn't realize that Urquhart had talked about the power of now and he says that you've got to forget your ego and just concentrate on being in the moment. Well, can I just say, I've got that book, Oliver, and I cannot read it <laughs> because it is it is impossible to be in the now, be in the now, like now when I said now, just then when I said now, so you can't. It is impossible to be in this existentialist state of Nirvana and bliss. I'm supposed to be the status quo of the premise that Michael read out, which is, otherwise there'd be no debate, which is that you do need goals. I aimed to write a book. If one goes into a dark place, like depression, which from time to time I I do, then completion of a task is essential to get yourself through a dark place. So I dreamed about finishing my book and I finished my book and I knew that I had to finish my book. So I think that goals and purposes are incredibly functional and keep you alive. You can actually decide I'm not going to be depressed today and make that your goal. I mean, I'm not sort of harking on on that um, exclusively, but... To not have a focus on where you're going to be and to be content with nothingness is a society that doesn't care, that doesn't care about each other, that isn't full of feelings, and feelings are about hopes. And Without hope, you haven't got life. So you need hope to get up in the morning.
1: Erwin James. It's really interesting because as Michael pointed out, I was convicted of terrible crimes that occurred in my life 33 years ago, and I'm deeply, ashamed and uh, full of regret for the rest of my life about those events. But before I went to prison, I had a very sort of disjointed, dysfunctional, I led a very base criminal lifestyle. I had no hopes, no desires other than immediate gratification, immediate survival issues. And I didn't have ambitions. I didn't have dreams or fantasies. I used to live on the streets as a, a drunken, violent tramp. And when I saw ordinary nice people living good lives in nice houses, I actually think, how do you get to live like that? How do people get to live in houses like that and be a part of a community and have purpose and direction? But I didn't have a fantasy that I could possibly be one of those people. You know, it, just, it wasn't for people like me. I'd been on the fringes of society for so long. When I went to jail, I was never much of a thinker. I've got to tell you, I wasn't educated. But I, I went to prison for life, life imprisonment, 99 years was My sentence with a minimum term to be served of 20 years, which I served exactly to the day. But I went in there without any hope or or desire or aspiration or ambition. I just went into jail. If the death penalty had been on the statute books when I was convicted, I would have been swinging. And I've got to tell you, I wouldn't have minded. You know, when they made jokes in Wandsworth Prison about 20 years ago, you'd be going on E Wing, young man, I didn't know what E Wing was. When I got on there, they had a working Gallows, which they kept until 1996. And when I found out about it, I thought, I wouldn't have minded that, you sods. You know, you could take me out there and I'd help you do it. I had nothing really to be ambitious about, no hopes or desires. But prison isolation allowed me to stop me in my tracks. And I started to think about how I'd become what I'd become. And eventually I did develop one major ambition, and that was to try and live a decent life. I'd lived all my life without courage, without integrity, without values, and so prison, ironically, is a—you know—we call prisons universities of crime, and they are. But for me, it was a—it was a place of isolation and extreme deprivation, and a place where I started to become a thinker. And my ambition was to find a way to live a decent life. As the years passed, the writing became something that was really important to me. But I was never. My goal was never to be a guardian columnist, which happened in the end. My goal was never to be a professional writer. My aim was to live a decent life. And what happened was by the skills and abilities I was developing in prison started to flower and bloom from this single ambition to live a decent life. You know, try and be kind when when there's an opportunity, Be, be understanding, have empathy be human, you know, I'd lived all my life with, without these human qualities. I'd been so selfish as a, a base criminal failure. And now prison allowed me the opportunity to have this ambition. I did have a fantasy in prison when I started to be the guy that could write a good letter. Maybe if life had been different, I could have been a writer. I could have been a journalist, but it was a distant fantasy that had no chance of ever becoming reality. And just by trying to live a decent life, all these other good things, seem to fall into my path and I embrace them but they've never been my ambition you know I'm lucky now what makes me happy is I'm loved by someone incredibly special I have a home like the good people I used to see uh, that had nice houses how do you live in a house like that well I live in one now even after 16 years every time I have an article published in the Guardian I still feel that excitement you know Christ is that me I'm, I'm in the paper you know that's my ambition, and I'm, I'm, when I am die, you know, my dying breath, I hope, I hope my dying words are, I did my best.
2: Well, let's try and analyse this subject by a, a number of sub-questions, and the first of the sub-questions I'd like to look at is, can dreams and ambitions be as dangerous as they're fulfilling? Uh, when we're young, we tend to have great dreams and ambitions about what jobs we're going to do, about running marathons, these ambitions may seem fulfilling. But then most of us will never actually achieve those dreams and ambitions. And we will go through all sorts of torture and agony in trying to achieve them and then failing. And most of us will not be Premier League footballers. Most of us will not be prime ministers like I was going to be. And (laughs) worse things can happen than that. So the question I want to now look at is, can dreams be as dangerous and harmful, or even more dangerous and harmful, than they can be positive and fulfilling. Oliver. Oh, um, okay.
0: uh, Yeah, I mean, I I suppose yes is the answer. I sense a dangerous level of potential agreement here, so I'll I'll try and uh, put some some clear water between us. I think uh, partly for the reasons that I was uh, talking about before, you know, there is is this phenomenon of sort of over-pursuit of goals. So I'm talking about being fixated on a goal rather than having some general ambition or direction. There is an amazing study that I wrote about in my book by a guy called Christopher Case, who, who really took apart the, the 1996 Mount Everest tragedy where a very large number of, of climbers died. He's an organizational psychologist and he sort of went through it for years talking to people and trying to figure out what had happened because it's sort of an inexplicable tragedy otherwise. And he makes this very compelling case that the goal of reaching the summit had become such a part of the identity of these climbers. It was no longer just something they really wanted to do. It was who they were. And if they didn't do it, it threatened their very sense of self. As a result, he shows how every step of the way, information that came into them about their progress that should have caused them to to turn back and to call it off was sort of alchemized into reasons to commit even harder to the goal. And I think something similar with much less life or death implications happens in businesses and government policy all the time you know a goal is set and it becomes so problematic and unacceptable to even consider stepping down from it that that sort of overcommitment can lead people to, to ruin I don't think it happens all the time but, but I you I mean you've problem.
2: been you've had us well I mean all the people on this platform otherwise we probably wouldn't be here have have had successful careers has your success been a result of the, the goals that you set early in life, if you hadn't had goals early in life, would you be doing what you are doing today? I, every so often, because I write about like self-help culture
0: and stuff, I've tried these kind of, and quite sincerely sometimes, these sort of goal-setting systems where you're supposed to come up with the five targets for the next six months of your life or something. And, Within about a day, every time they feel stale and, and useless. There's something sort of lifeless about that kind of. Because what happens is every single day, if you if you're following these plans, you get up in the morning, you tell yourself you've got to put into practice something you decided like two weeks ago. There's no there's no juice in that. So I think. So you no, but you might, you have had goals. Well, but what does that mean? I mean, obviously, I have had ambitions. I've had yes. things I wanted to do, and I wasn't that, that motivated me to do certain things. I don't know whether. If I'd had more goals and ambition, I would be in some more impressive place or something, I don't know. But, but, I, but obviously I have, you have some, but I think it's, I don't know, maybe we're talking about a difference between goals and, and ambition here. I mean, there's a direction, there's the idea of having a compass that says, you know, this is the kind of thing I'm interested in trying to do versus this kind of thing that especially self-help culture is obsessed by, which is being incredibly specific, saying, you know, I will be earning this amount of money by the time I am this age. I think that goes wrong a lot. Even when people succeed in those goals, they only do it by sort of pulling all their other aspects of their lives out of whack. So, you know, yeah, if you decide to be a millionaire by the age of 30, you might be one and have alienated every single person you know and ruined your health. It's not necessarily a a success or a victory. So,
2: Helen, cannot goals be terribly dangerous, terribly antisocial, actually well, more, yes. da- more dangerous than they are fulfilling. Yes,
3: because I think that we are in danger of kind of overlapping. <laughs> so your job is to unpick that and make us quarrel. Be careful what you wish for is quite a helpful uh, thing to say here. So uh, Miranda Hart, a- apocryphal probably, uh, was heard to say, I want to be a national treasure. So that's an ambition, it's not my ambition, or am I being honest? Maybe the fact that I'm not a national treasure makes me say, God, I wouldn't want that ambition, God, no. But anyway, so maybe you become, an, it's an odd ambition. I think that people are driven to these odd ambitions that are not balanced because we're in a society that praises fame. Let's take that as an example so that's dodgy already because it it won't cause happiness, just like money doesn't empirically we know cause equal happiness. It doesn't. It just doesn't because there are rich people who are unhappy. And then perhaps one becomes a national treasure and then it's a burden. It's a it's a chain. So it goes back to the point where it is helpful to have the right goals. A goalless existence is an oxymoron. Even Oliver, you know, because you're so clever, would have Passed exams, and to pass an exam, you would have probably had to revise. I mean, already know that you, d- you did the arts, although we had to let go of some of the math subjects, didn't we? We hadn't had have been interrogating me on my education. I have interrogated. History, yeah, yeah. But, so, but even to, to achieve something, if you have the opportunity, unlike yourself, to do that, then you have to do that. But does that equal. So the wrong dreams are dangerous, the right dreams are necessary. So in what way have
2: goals helped your life?
3: Well, I'm quite a driven person, but that's just as a personality type. For instance, I got to be, in launching the book, Losing It, I got onto Graham Norton's radio show, but I didn't make the sofa. To make the sofa, you have to be in Hollywood. You have to be a hard hitter or Miranda Hart, but I do love her. Anyway, and so the thing is you have to accept that you're never going to achieve the goal you thought you would achieve, and that is good enough. So being good enough is a really important element of life. But isn't
2: that, re- that's not really a goal though, is it? If you if you accept you're not going to achieve it.
3: You deduce empirically that only a minority of people, this is just through wisdom of age and I'm older than anyone <laughs> here, that the minority of people achieve the minority of goals. So empirically we know it is not possible to be Prime Minister. I'm sorry that you didn't make that grade but there we are. There's um, time. It, there's time but may I suggest you still won't. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and so it's a minority sport to, to be the top. It's an elite. Uh, French and Saunders are an elite. But they don't have to be
2: elite goals. There can be all sorts of goals that you can have that well, aren't elite goals. Yeah, my
3: goal to uh, make a meal for someone is a reasonable goal and an achievable goal. The goals have to be achievable. I think to be seduced into wanting inappropriate goals can affect the brain and it's part of conspiracy theory. It leads to conspiracy theory where you think that you are being purposely <laughs> not allowed on Graham Norton's sofa, which actually is true because I'm. <laughs> obviously, well, I'm I wasn't. I, I, I can't believe that is the biggest goal you've had in life. No, but but I've observed that success is not for everyone. It can't be, by definition.
2: But are there not, Erwin, some goals in this world that are are far worse than any benefits that can be achieved by God? I mean, for instance, you know, uh, the the goal of achieving a master race, the goal of achieving an Islamic State. There can be some goals that are so horrible that individuals might hold that actually, uh, they're, they're, they're worse than any benefit that could be achieved by goal holding in
1: general. <laughs> I think that's true, but I think as a human, as the, the human condition necess- necessitates a sort of need to work towards something. You know, you're, you're born and then you're living, and you have to have some sense of working towards something. I think I know that a great failing of mine was that I, I was never working towards anything, I was just drifting along from one disaster to another. And I think in prison, you know, I talked about the ambition of trying to li- live a decent life. You're constantly assessed in jail as a long-term convict, and so there's, you have to make progress. I'm progressing as far as the system's concerned. And of course, you know, I was doing a long, long time in prison, and, and I had a whole load of weight on my shoulders of, uh, of, of guilt and regret. And then sometimes, you know, people around my first Christmas in prison, the man in the cell above mine hanged himself. And over the years, there were a whole load of people that I knew quite well who were were, were just disappearing. You know, 1,247 people took their own lives while I was serving my 20 years in jail. And I did go down, and I went flat a couple of times. But what kept me going was, I used to think if I can just live long enough to experience one sunny day. You know, when I got to the really edge of I don't think I can do this, you know, you do a year after year after year after year in jail. It's like climbing a mountain. And, and You, I, knew, you I, knew it was 20 years. Well, I didn't know. It was 99 years my life. Everybody, right. everybody gets life sentence. you get 99 years. And but you, I didn't know what it was going to be. Could, I could have died in there. you know. But, but my, my, my ambition and my goal was not to get out of prison. You know, I wasn't thinking, oh, when I get out, I'm going to be a journalist. My ambition was to try and live, f- find a way to live a decent, develop values. There's a psychologist in prison I met who was a fantastic woman who got me onto education, she, uh, she g- guided me into the education <coughs> department, so I was out to ed- educate myself. But I mean, the, the, you know, my experience was, like when I got the chance to write for The Guardian, I'd been in 15 years, and it fell to me, this opportunity came, and I went to the prison governor, and I, I thought it would be so exciting when he hears this, the governor, and I went to see him, and I said, Governor, you don't believe this, The, the Guardian, you know, one of the most amazing newspapers on the planet, wants me to write a regular column about prison. Stop, he said, no prisoners allowed to contact the media. I said, no, I said, I don't want to conduct the media, Governor. I said, I said, and I, I spat it out. I couldn't get it out. I stuck my throat. I said, I'm a writer. I'd never said that to anybody in my life before. I, and I was embarrassed when I said it. He said, I said, yes, you get another hobby. He said, I'll give you 50 small no's or one big no, but you'll never be writing for any national newspaper. It
2: seems to, it seems to me you had a certain, uh, dare I say it, that prison was good for you, that, that, that you had a certain.
1: Going Intentment. to prison for life, for me, was the best thing that ever happened to me, best and the worst thing. I'd rather it hadn't happened, but not the, not the prison, but the events that led so, to the prison. So prison can work? Anybody that makes prison work, you know, we don't want a prison yeah. debate, but any, anybody who, may, who succeeds through our prison system in England and Wales and Scotland, you do it through chance. It's through luck. It's not through design, you know, our prison system is corrosive, it's damaging, it's debilitating, it's dehumanising, but there's some amazing people who work in those places, but because we as a society don't really care about prisons, we don't support those people, we don't put the resources into our prisons, and so re-offending from prisons is sky high. It's not because they're all naturally bad, nasty people, it's because they're all problematic people with issues that need addressing, and because we don't invest in what they need, you know, It fails but the thing the main thing is that governor you know I was determined my goal wasn't to be a guardian journalist my goal was to I had one shot here I've got to do my best part of doing my best was embracing this opportunity it wasn't about I've got to I've got to be a journalist it was this I couldn't understand this the prison system's reticence in allowing me to do the best I could you know.
3: Can I ask Uh, how are you uh, how your goal day to day so if you're facing that I can't imagine uh, what it feels like. So you go, my goal today is to try and be nice to someone? Well, no, I don't, you know, sit there, wake up in the morning and think, right, today
1: I've got to be kind, polite, empathetic. You know, I wake up and I th- I, I'm just glad. I mean, I, it's my life, my emotional state is, is fairly sort of undulating because, you know, that I still have a, a life that's amazing, really. I mean, it's not an extra special life. It's an ordinary life of a, of, of a working Law abiding citizen. It's the light, kind of life that I thought I could never have, you know, and, and that comes with it a great deal of guilt. I'm, here I am at Hay, you know. When I got out of prison, I walked out of that prison gates after 20 years. I used to think if I could just live long enough to experience one sunny day, the hottest, sunniest, bluest August day, I walked out of those prison gates. And, you know, I knew I was euphoric, but I knew that the 20 years I just served didn't make a dent in the debt I owed my victims. So, so, I, you know, I got a better life through prison, but it comes with a, a cloud with it, you know, that I can never get rid of, you know. So I've got to keep doing my best. And coming here is a great privilege, but also it's sharing these ideas, you know. Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers?
2: It's free for the first month and there's no commitment to pay. So subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level. Let me move on to the next, uh, the next sub-theme. Are we happiest in the moment or the moments of, uh, of being? Helen.
3: Well, again, in that existentialist way of uh, what we can only be happy then, instead of thinking how it's going to be when I can finish my wine. Well, we can go on about
2: this argument, but I mean, uh, when when we say the moment, we don't literally mean the moment, we mean the five minutes, the ten minutes, the hour, the half hour. um, So you're saying,
3: are we to be satisfied with what is, as opposed to what we want to be? Is that the question?
2: Well, are, are we happiest in those moments? That's, that's the question. Are we, are we is happiest? That, is that what makes us happiest? That, that Our feelings in, in those you know, like me coming up on the train and the, the bus today in a yes. lovely yes. Worcestershire countryside? Yes, yes. Sometimes
3: looking into people's houses... Um, <laughs> oh, no, um there
2: wasn't any of that. No.
3: <laughs> Sometimes that makes me happy because that's a rather odd thing to do. Um, <laughs>
1: very, very yes, odd. That's very odd. That's to very answer
3: odd. your question, so when you absolutely take yourself out of the construct that you're talking about with your self-help experience to disprove its value, then there is something quite joyous about just, yes, doing something that engages or but are those a nice real, face are those, or for something. for you, are
2: the happiest moments in your life, or indeed all of you?
3: Sex is probably the happiest uh, it moment. It says that here, and
2: I had not even got to that oh, bit, and you raised it.
3: <laughs> sorry, but that, that, that way you don't have to think, I suppose, and you can just experience. But everything has a consequence, of course. But
2: I, mean, must I think be... you have to
3: ask Oliver next. Right. He's more trained. He's more trained. <laughs> well, your, I mean,
2: your argument is that it, that it is a, all of all the, the moments of being.
0: Well, ultimately, I think that's just a fact, right? I mean, you're never, you're never experiencing a time that isn't the present moment. You might be using that experience of the present moment to sort of fret and worry away about waiting for it to be. I, I've been struck in my own life when I've encountered some of these ideas in sort of reading or like going on ridiculous meditation retreats for a week to watch your own breath in silence oh. nine hours a day, that, 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 <laughs> um, that you spend or I spend an inordinate amount of time really mentally living not necessarily a year in the future maybe just five minutes in the future but you know you get up in the morning and on some level your agenda is to get to the end of the day and of course it's got to be on some level because you've got things to do and bills to pay but but when you get completely immersed in that I think you've sort of fundamentally missed a, a basic fact about what conscious experience is which is that it's always now and it's always and it's always this moment the problem when we have conversations like this is that I don't think that the happy experience of a moment is usually accompanied by the self-conscious thought that I am now, in this moment, happy. I think we very rarely have the thought, I am now happy. You have the thought, that was a really happy day,
2: or a week ago, I was really happy. When I was was younger, I used to look back and say, yeah, those were happy days in the past. But now I've learned to say, actually, I'm happy now. What I'm doing now. But what what you find
0: find amazing is everybody, like. Eckhart Tolle and all these people will tell you that meditation and and sort of deep, weird spiritual practices are the way to just be present in the moment. What you find is that almost everybody who's at all mentally healthy, if you sort of ask them about their lives, they have something that is doing that role of Everything dropping away. So, like, you know, I've got a friend who scoffs at the fact that I've been involved in meditation, who goes ice climbing on the sides of mountains every, uh, every winter, where you just absolutely have to focus in the moment. I know but, people use photography like this. You know, everyone's got something they're doing to just be present because they know that it's
2: that valuable. To but really that enjoy. involves goals, surely. I mean, you must have, when you've completed your books, or well, book, I don't know how many <laughs> you've written, but you must have had a moment. Great, that's it. Go out yeah. and have a drink, have dinner, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, a moment of euphoria. But yes, yeah, so we getting. I mean, it gets a bit
0: semantic. I don't think that anyone other than a sort of Zen master doing nothing all day and having no self is is ever completely without goals. But it's. I think you know the compromise position. It's about holding these things loosely, right, and seeing <laughs> them as ways to organize your present and give some sort of direction to your present, rather than you're just constantly somewhere else. Well, I'm interested,
3: if I meant that Oliver's done this retreat business, because there is a whole industry of people earning a lot of money, teaching other people now. I mean, I went to a a guy uh, that my daughter recommended, and he told me that to teach me how to meditate would be 2 two grand, that's four sessions, and some. that's one oh, yeah. one-to-one, and three group sessions. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think that there's just so much interest in what you've actually done, and yet earning money out of it, because people are desperate, people are seeking, including myself, yeah. a way to kind of manage my mind so that it doesn't go dark. Young people, my daughter's 25, she's in bloody Thailand being a hippie, I went to try and get her back, but you know, she likes it there. They wear these big travel trousers and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and she was become, you know what, you know, running university, all that. But anyway, so, so what these people are doing are, are quite dangerous, getting into a really spiritual journey and talking about bliss. And she says, and I just think, oh, come, come back and be a capitalist. Come on, <laughs> just, just be straight, one of the things I mean, don't I, to I, worry. Know, one of the, Michael,
1: one of the things I learned in prison about the human condition is that we're, 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 there's three elements to us, there's an intellectual capacity, there's, there's an emotional capacity, and there's a spiritual capacity. And if, we can, if somehow we can fulfill those, those parts of us, then I think that leads to some contentment. The most contented time I've had in my life is when uh, about five or six years into my sentence, I was a high security prisoner. I was locked in a concrete and steel box with massive cell bars and everything. I had a handful of books. And I was all of my desires had been extinguished and all my wants and Every everything external to that concrete and steel box Was just there was nothing there's no possibility of desiring anything outside that little environment and you know I, I, I reached a measure of contentment that I've never known since oh, is, that, is contentment the same as happiness when I got out of jail it was amazing because I, you know, I used to sleep rough behind the Guardian building 34 years ago, <laughs> and here I get out of prison and I'm walk strolling to the Guardian with a security pass and sitting at the features desk and writing this column, making money, not a fortune. You don't make a lot of money at the Guardian, but but you know, I mean, I was making a living, and I had a job as well, uh, an office job, and I was making money. I'd never had money. You know, my highest wage in prison in 20 years was six pound fifty a week. Uh, suddenly, I had a salary. I had income. And, and, and I, did, I, I did indulge myself. I bought things, you know, I bought this car. Again, fantasies in jail. You know, you, you think, well, what makes you happy? And I used to think, well, it must be amazing to drive down the seafront in an open-topped car. And how, how in a, on a sunny day, how amazing would that be? Ridiculous fantasy. I did it, I bought this car, open-topped, drove down the seafront. I had a moment of, sh- a shallow moment of joy. When I bought that car, when I drove it, a very shallow moment of joy. It didn't make me happy. But didn't having the ambition though? But it wasn't
2: ambition. But it wasn't an ambition. It, well, really the ambition. Goal, it the was, was a fantasy. It was a fantasy. All, 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 right, a fantasy, fantasy. all that yeah. time in jail, thinking about this car. Well, I wasn't, wasn't that all But i, mean, funny, I, mean, you know, I didn't thought about other things yeah, as well. But the thought it, of doing things it, is it, often it, as good was, as
1: actually doing. It them. was a flash, you know, it was a flash because you know I was somebody who didn't have anything before prison, and then I came out and I had access to things. And so, in a way, because I used to wonder, people who've got money, it must be fantastic. Well, I've had a few, Bob, and it didn't make me a better person, didn't make me a more rounded person, a more grounded person, a better human being. It didn't, that car, it it was so selfish, really. It was a selfish thing to do. You know, I was ashamed of it afterwards. Is it possible
2: to live your life without any goals, Just, you know, living for the moment?
1: No. There is a philosopher that even says that there's only come. the moment you, you mentioned earlier. That well, there's yeah, only
2: would, now. Yeah. There are lots of sort of
0: spiritual guru yeah. people who would say that they're almost completely doing that. I th- it gets very semantic, doesn't it? I mean, even they have to make sure they 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 have something to eat. But I mean they're very
3: rarefied people. And what use are they to society, especially if they charge me two grand? I mean, what well, yeah, are these I'm people? Not, yeah, you no. know, what are these people doing that is a, a part of society where we have to join <laughs> up with each other and care and strive to do better and I and be what better the, in prisons I think what, I think, or whatever. I
0: mean, I, There are a huge number of charlatans, absolutely, and you don't want to don't want to gloss over that at all. But I think, yeah, that too. The best of those people are sort of uh, modelling for everyone else. I think this idea that we don't have to be completely caught up all the time in this sort of internal chatter of where we're getting to and what we're going to have at the end of it. And you know, the point about the car is so uh, it's such a great sort of to hear an actual. Case of that, it's 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 such a sort of established finding in sort of academic psychological research that we're just terrible at predicting the things that are going to make us happy. That's a another good, very that's very a good, point. good reason mm. to not invest everything in your goals. Although you make the point, maybe the aspiration can be pleasurable. Well, I mean, but
2: Alex. Fer- I wrote a book about Alex Ferguson a few years ago, the football manager, and he always used to say, <coughs> and was, presumably still says that you know every season he'd be striving to win new trophies and nearly every season he'd win a few and then the the pleasure of winning the trophy was you know a split second and then immediately he'd be thinking about where do i how do i win the the league again yeah Yeah. and there's something and and so so the, the the happiness the enjoyment for him was purely in the striving uh, it's a travelling. It's a yes, travelling. It is
3: a travelling, and so we conclude we do need the travelling to focus the travelling to get there. My little example of the Alex Ferguson, on a par with him, is that just recently I was nominated, so my book was nominated for the P.G. Woodhouse Prize. Not a lot of people have heard of. And I got the text um, saying have I was not... Now. Yeah, I certainly have now. Um, that's going to change the world. Anyway, so I got the text to say that I've been nominated. Now, I have never won anything. I had a position badge when I was 11, That's it. I'm not a winner. I don't get nominated. And that little moment of somebody acknowledging me, which is probably why I do the job I do. It's just to get acknowledgement that I think I probably didn't get, blah-de-blah. And then I thought, "Mm, two seconds, and then I put the phone down, and I just thought, right, and carried on, and just didn't think about it. And just like I didn't deserve to think about it, and you just forget it. So that's a goal that you go, hmm. And then you just go, no, 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 it's not for me. So I don't think we, any of us are complacent people and we don't experience pleasure in achieving stuff, but it's really important to keep going and to travel.
2: What, let me move on to the third part of the, this discussion before I throw it open to the, to the, to the audience. And, and that is to explore what are the most valuable dreams to have and indeed you know, what are the most valuable moments of being uh, that we've had and how much we should pursue either of these.
1: Erwin? Well, for me, I guess the most valuable aspect of my life is, is being loved. But also loving, you know, loving someone. And and now I've got grandchildren, you know, I, so, and so I see, I see you a real, I, I'm not a great granddad, I've got to tell you, I, 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 I wasn't a, a, around as a father because I was in jail. Uh, my daughters grew up without a father, but, and, I, and the, the saddest part is, as I grew in prison, uh, I saw what I was missing, you know, I, I saw what I could never have, and of course I got out of prison, made contact with my daughters, and uh, one of them, we, we have a, a good relationship or a sort of on-off relationship, but the, the, her kids, you know, they, they think of me as granddad, and that's, that's incredibly, you know, when you talk about goals and ambitions, there's a danger sometimes that society, we, we're living in such a consumerist society that there's a, there's a, a media Focus on everybody has to be achieving things. You've got to be, you've got to be winning. You've got to be competitive You've got to, young people have got to be have this fashion or they have got to be on that Media obvious, social it? media <laughs> thing if, if we don't have those <coughs>
2: goals the world doesn't move on If people hadn't had our goals and ambitions we, We'd still all be living in well. We probably wouldn't even have discovered caves to live in you know, but, but, I, but
1: I think in the, in the modern sort of in, the, um, in our modern global uh, media society People, people's ideas of what goals they want can be distorted. You know, when you get young people who want to be a certain shape, kids, they've got to be a certain shape because they're told. So they have their, their ambition is to be a certain shape or wear certain clothes or, or be seen in, the, in, in certain places. And I think I think those are dangerous. Uh, I think some goals in that in that respect can be quite dangerous for, for people because, and then they achieve the you know, they might achieve these things, but what what does it say? To, about them as a human being. I would agree What's, so What so does it much. give them, Helen, as a human no, being? No, I agree know? with
3: that, and this, we have to counter that. But I'm wondering what you think, because you know so much about research, that I absolutely agree with you. On that, and that they have experienced problems about that in my own family. But do you remember that school, Dartington? And and the whole ethos was to kind of not put pressure on the children, and just go, hey, look, turn up, and yeah, there's an. Ex- like the hills thing. It. Was that the Summer Something Hill? similar. Something like that, yeah. All that. Yeah. Just don't bother about exams. And in fact, so people didn't. So, the idea was that you, you're going to take the pressure off goals and you're going to come up with really self motivated, wonderful citizens. And they're probably, and they all dropped out. Well, I'm exaggerating, but a lot of this, that causes lack of motivation and dropping outness. What, what amazes me
2: about this discussion so far is how little we've discussed family and uh, relationships. Uh, I mean, you know, 90, 95% of the population have the goal or the ambition to have children, bring them up successfully, make them happy. And yet, We've, we've barely touched on that. We've barely touched on moments of happiness when children are born or they say their first word or they, they ask you an intelligent question or they, they graduate. I mean, these surely are very legitimate and healthy goals. And indeed, if we didn't have them, civilization would come. To, uh, the human race would come to an end. Well, it's certainly true that the answer to what is a secret happiness is, is
0: high-quality social relationships. I mean, that's, that, that's, just, that's just sort of... Everyone knows that, I think, and it's uh, if, if if research if you need research to persuade you of that, there's plenty of research. Whereas you know, the acquisition of as much material wealth as you possibly can will not make you happy, and the super rich are have a little bit higher rates of depression than. Uh, but I think families
1: the... can be very problematic too. You know, fam- oh, yeah. family issues. You know, I, I used to think when I started a relationship long before jail, I was you know, I was a, I was a very dysfunctional, not fit to be a partner or a husband or a or a, or a father. And my idea of the ideal family was what I saw in adverts on television and um, when I tried to do that I, I, I just to- totally utterly utterly failed. Uh, now I'm in more rational family relationships but it, sometimes it's turmoil. Sometimes the conflict in these family situations and you, you know you've really got to work hard to make them successful, these relationships. I've got a, I'm. I'm learning how to be a father through being a grandfather, you know, I'm learning all over. It's not a coincidence
0: that the sources of the greatest joy are also the sources of the greatest uh, yeah. distress. yeah really
3: it's all about love, it's about love. You're uh, about social relationship and also Desmond Morris, I remember said that everybody only has 2.2 friends so um that's comforting if one has slightly more which you know what i mean it's about social interaction causes happiness we hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you by the institute of art and ideas if you're as ambitious as helen lederer why not listen to her talk losing it available on the iai tv player or, if you'd like to live in the moment, you might enjoy The Road to the Good Life featuring Oliver Berkman. If you want to get more episodes, then subscribe to the Philosophy for Our Times podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or Stitcher. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please do get in touch on podcast at ii.tv. Next time, we'll be back with the life story of BBC Radio 1's first female DJ.